know, to mix it up, why don't you do the intro, Davis? We recording? Yep. Hello and welcome to Davis and the Jake Man. You already messed it up, Davis. Yep. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Davis and the Jake Man, a monthly podcast hosted by two certified computer technicians. This month's edition of the podcast, we'll be discussing the tech news for the month of November. Alrighty, so you wanted to talk about Microsoft Edge coming to mobile, finally. Yeah, yeah, but before we officially get into the tech news, uh, there's a big piece. I might write about this for the site, so uh, depending on how quickly I upload the edited version of this recording, this might be like a sneak peek into uh, what's to come in the written word on D and the JM. Um, so yeah, this is like you know one of the companies I've covered the most uh, over the past two years. By the way, for anyone who cares, uh, December marks the, actually December 6th officially, marks the two-year anniversary of davisandthedrakeman.com. And since then, I've been covering Microsoft at length, and uh, specifically Windows Phone before a tweet killed it. <laughs> and um, one of the, the arguments I made for Windows Phone popularity to increase and its adoption rate to grow would be if they had a mobile equivalent of the Microsoft Edge browser. Uh, this is yet another one of those stories of uh, too little too late. It's just now been released for Android and iOS. You know, it's the bookmark syncing works great. You can, all the stuff I talked about on last month's podcast, actually, when we were discussing Firefox and how useful the, the feature to be able to start on one device and finish on the other, that works on Edge just fine. Like, for example... Yeah, was it Continuum? Yeah, that's like a Microsoft-specific term, but as like a more general concept. Mm. Like all of the other browsers already supported this. Apple Safari, Mozilla Firefox, Google Chrome. But out of the box, even with like, I don't think it's, actually I think it's in beta as a matter of fact, because I needed to be emailed a link to the App Store. So that leads me to believe it is in beta. You know, syncing does work. Uh, I haven't tried it on Android. Actually, probably going to implore you, Davis, to try it out this coming month and then report back to us in January. Uh, but on the iOS side, uh, it works great on the iPhone. It's actually not coded for the iPad. So it's one of these like blown up phone apps. Like here, I'll show you it actually. It looks pretty gross. Uh, there, that's how it looks natively. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> or two times and then it's all blown up and like aliased AF. So yeah, it, it looks bad. On the phone, it looks perfect, though. Uh, it's just a matter of there's more screen resolution on the iPad versus the iPhone, yeah. which, considering it's a larger screen device, makes perfect sense. Too many pixels. Yeah, there's only, like, 10 different devices in the iOS ecosystem. It isn't hard to target them all. So I'd be curious to see... Um, you still own some Android tablets, right? Uh, yeah, I have both my... Uh, well, my Kindle Fire, which is... Doesn't have access to the Play Store officially. Officially, but I, I jailbroke that thing in a week. <laughs> um, then there is, I believe I still have the uh, the Galaxy tablet somewhere. Okay, yeah. Okay, so Davis, your assignment, if you choose to accept it, is uh, to try Edge both on your phone and on that Galaxy tablet. Alrighty. Should I find either of those devices? Well, one of them's in your pocket, right? I guess. Report back to us on Edge on, on Android, but on iOS, uh, it's great on the phone, bad on the tablet, syncing works as it should. I'm really interested to learn about how the rendering engine is 
on Android because on iOS it's locked down to Apple WebKit 2. Which path they choose will be very interesting. Because for me, I think they're prioritizing ease of use over Edge HTML. Like they aren't marketing Edge HTML. As I've written about for the site, it's guaranteed to be 100% WebKit compliant. So it's just they're building a few features on top of WebKit. They're not forking it. It's sort of like a WebKit plus in a sense. Yeah, so that's Edge more or less. It's just like if this had come like two years earlier, it would be very exciting. But it's just like, it's almost like why do they even bother now? Yeah, there's so many mobile browsers that already have their largest shares on market. I mean, I use Chrome most of the time, occasionally Firefox for Pocket. You're iOS, so you probably use Safari. Not, no, no, no. I actually, what's, I was explaining, I was trying to get this across to you before we even started the podcast. I don't know if I articulated it very well. Even though you can't change default apps in iOS, there's a workaround, and it's within the Apple guidelines, so your app won't get taken down for it. Mm-hmm. You can direct apps to, o- to open other apps. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, if you're in Chrome, and you click a link, it'll kick you into the Gmail app, not iOS Mail. Right. And I have configured Outlook to open Firefox and Firefox to open Outlook. Mm. <laughs> Set up an infinite loop there. That's right. I don't have to deal with Safari. I uninstalled Safari mm. and Mail because they both suck. I should send you an email with a link to another link and see what happens. A link to an email with a link. You're trying to turn me into a node for your botnet? Potentially. So let's see. Next up, we've got the in-display fingerprint sensors coming next year. Yeah, this is an article I just wrote for our site uh, last night and published this morning. So why don't, why don't I pull that up now? So this was it's it's one of my shorter articles here. I don't have like a big. I'm not like uh, preaching to the reader like I do a lot. I'm not like evangelizing some sort of tech here. I'm just explaining why this is important. And basically, it's synaptics, which we all hate because they make crappy trackpads. It's like, you know, if you buy like a cheapo Windows laptop, it has a six synaptics touch enabled uh, trackpad and they all like suck. If you, you, have, you need to spend like a thousand bucks to get what they call a Windows precision trackpad, which just means a good trackpad. A good trackpad isn't that hard to come by. I mean, your your cheap Chromebook there, has the trackpad's fine. Yeah. I mean, it beats a synaptics trackpad. It does. <laughs> That's part of why my article is so short, actually, is because it's hard to be excited about a technology developed by Synaptics who can't even make a good trackpad. But they claim to have developed a technology which enables fingerprint sensors behind the display, which is very promising. It's like the way I describe it in my article is it's like the holy grail of smartphone design. It's like you want to marry this idea of the bezel-less phone, but then the downside is where do you put the fingerprint sensor? Right. We found a couple answers. I mean, the most popular one is like right in the middle of the back of your phone. Um, there was the Touch ID sensors on the front of the phone on the home button for the iPhones. Right, as well as as I mentioned in the article, the Samsung Galaxy phones for several years sort of aped that feature from from Apple. Right, and then there was a um, there was an unfortunate phone. I the name slips in my mind that had the fingerprint sensor next to the camera. You could potentially either fingerprint or scratch your camera. Yeah, and then their Note 8, their $1,000 smartphone, had the same poor design choice. And it has a smaller battery than the smaller phone. I Maybe it's not really a sensor. Maybe they're just taking a picture of your fingerprint, like most sensors do. Well, I mean, anytime South Korea comes up in our uh, articles or our tech news, it's not good. So I wouldn't necessarily want Samsung to have pictures of my <laughs> fingerprint. Because <laughs> didn't, didn't the South Korean firm get blackmailed? 
I think so. Chris Ward, you wrote an article about that, actually. It's not from this past month. It's, like, months ago. It's, like, happened over the summer, I think. There was some, like, ransomware is, is the term. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the South Korean firm got hit with ransomware, and they actually paid up. Yep. So, like, you know, if that's sort of the standard for tech firms in South Korea, then, you know, my fingerprints will stay as far away from Samsung as humanly possible. But on the phones, it is, biometric data is stored in a TPM. So theoretically, it should be fine. The same holds true for Synaptics. They actually claim to have, in addition to develop the sensor itself, developed uh, some anti-spoofing methods, which is which sounds promising. Like, so you can, for example, use the, a picture of a, a fingerprint or place the fingerprint onto a false thumb and then try to authenticate with the false thumb. Yeah. But like all of the other phones already do this, so the Synaptics is just playing catch-up. But it adds a layer of complexity because they can have up to one millimeter of glass between the thumb and the scanner which is quite a bit more distance than the rear-facing or front-facing sensors we were just talking about. Right, and then I also worry about the accuracy of the sensor once you naturally get like a like a piece of plastic or a piece of glass to put on your actual phone screen. Uh, yeah, depending on the thickness of the protector, that, that might go above that threshold. Yeah. Especially like, you know those OtterBox cases with the very thick yeah. plastic? I think that would definitely be the death knell for these uh, synaptics in display sensors. Yeah, just because unless they can get a sensor that can pass through at least two or three millimeters of glass, it's it's going to be much more difficult to get an accurate read. Mm. I mean, it might just be a feature that users will have to choose to give up should they need a case, and most people should get a case with their phone already. All right, so next let's talk about the tech news for October 31st through November 6th. Yeah, this is the last of Jake Mann's tech news before Davis came back from his semi-hiatus. And, uh... I'm, I'm still on hiatus, thank you. So, first up was the Xbox One X being in stores on November 7th. But, yeah, Xbox One X has a tagline as the most powerful console, you know, enabling true 4K gaming. But, yeah, I mean, back then, and probably still, actually, the Xbox One pre-orders are pretty much sold out. It's proven to be a popular console. There's been a huge marketing campaign behind it. You'll see banner ads on most websites. It's also been covered by nearly every prominent YouTube channel. Even ones that only discuss, like, culture, even the non-tech ones, will be like, Microsoft reached out to me and wanted to sponsor this video, so here's this video. And it's like, of course, they're not going to say the Xbox One sucks, whether it does or not, because it's a sponsored video. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a conflict of interest there. Um, I'm kind of glad that the EU mandates that these channels disclose that it's sponsored content you know it's just one of those things where it would be i i feel the temptation would be too great for these folks these aspiring stars you know they just a good portion of them would just sell out yeah i mean it's natural especially for the up-and-coming people you know i mean free clicks and free views help out Right, and if they have exclusive access to the console a week before it drops, then that's going to garner a lot of comments and views. Uh, but back onto the console itself, um, you know, for $500, it is pretty powerful. Uh, there, there, there was a talking point I'm actually borrowing from, by coincidence, a YouTube channel, that Linus Tech Tips channel. Yeah. He was talking about how uh, without a variable refresh rate, 
uh, the PS4 Pro and Xbox One X like don't have the same potential as a similarly specced PC. And I think that's a great point. First of all, the FPS are capped at 60. Then if they can't handle 60 at 4K, then they're going to drop the res down. Right, but that's a better alternative than dropping the frame rate. But it's always good to have that choice. I mean, there's a minority of people who would, you know, they have a 4K television just on principle alone. They'd rather drop the FPS than not get 4K. Like, they paid for this 4K console. They paid for this 4K panel. They want to get the most out of it. Right. Uh, Which is fair. The thing is, since it's capped at 60, you know, there are televisions with 120, 240 frames per second. Especially if you connect the Xbox to a computer monitor. Like, I have a a panel with 144. I wouldn't be able to get half of that if I hooked an Xbox up. Besides the fact that it's 4K, it's it's basically the same console as the Xbox One S. You know, higher specs, dedicated to the 4K. You're still going to be able to play all the same games, the same apps. Yeah, it's just the APU is OC'd, and you've got... One and a half times the RAM. Right. I mean, one thing that always makes me nervous with these mid-generation upgrades is uh, what actually had happened with the 3DS. I had actually picked one up fairly early in the console's life cycle. I bought it used. Um, and there was just a few games that I couldn't play because they required the new 3DS with a better processor. Um, I think there was Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, I think there was one or two um, Nintendo first-party games that I wouldn't be able to play without investing in a new console. I'm trying to find an article that I wrote for the site a long time back. It actually has to do with exactly what we're talking about. See, the longer we have this site, the more we will be able to look back. All right, this is one from August 2016. It's uh, mid-cycle upgrades represent the best and worst of planned obsolescence. Subtitle, the staggering rate of innovation is bittersweet. And I talk about the one S here. Uh, I'm not going to discuss the entire article, but it's just it's it's been a problem for a while, and it's it's one of those things where it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right. And one thing that I find is ironic is that the consoles have sort of moved closer to that PC upgrade cycle market. You know, it's not like we can swap out Xbox One parts yet, besides the hard drive, controllers, etc. But it's just it's kind of funny that. Now we have to, we might soon have to start worrying about, you know, which Xbox One logo is on the case. Oh yeah, there was the uh, T-Mobile and uh, Sprint merger back in, um, back in November. Well, they almost merged specifically. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's a good thing they didn't because, I mean... We've, we've got so many powerhouses in so many industries right now that competition is just a non-factor. Yeah, I mean, there are only four big players, and all of these other carriers are just MVNOs, mobile virtual network operators. They just they work off the existing networks, like MetroPCS is T-Mobile, Boost is Sprint, etc. Uh, I think TrackPhone actually works off of all four which is weird, but not at the same time. So it's like you got to pick like which subsidiary of TrackPhone. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, they couldn't find terms that they could agree on. Um, they also probably had some um, some of our watchdogs hounding the door. Um, also, like if you're, uh, if you you got to share a store with Radio Shack, then you're not that viable. <laughs> yeah. 
And Radio Shack is Radio Shack is pretty much dead. I think I forget who bought them out. Yeah, they declared uh, bankruptcy and they got bought out. The stores are gonna stay open. I think. Yeah, I mean, both companies have left the door open for other mergers. So who knows? We might have the one or the two phone companies soon enough, but it's just you know these these monopolies and duopolies are getting a little out of hand. Hopefully, the Department of Justice or the Federal Trade Commission would you know step in if it came down to it. Yeah, that's their job. All right, now time to move on to Davis's Tech News, November seventh through the fifteenth. Alrighty, CIA impersonates Kaspersky. Yes, comrade. <laughs> but yeah, there was a there was a leak from there was actually a source code leak of some of uh, CIA stuff um, where they were trying to impersonate Kaspersky programs. And this came out as a result of uh, another WikiLeaks uh, Vault Eight. Can't believe we were already up to Vault Eight, but. Um... <laughs> You know, if you inspect the source code for davisandthejakeman.com, in the comments portion of the HTML, there's just swag, 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 swag. <laughs> Shouldn't affect the page load times or anything. <laughs> now, fake certificates have been a big deal in the last couple of years. Um, you know, they're used plenty in phishing attacks. Um, there's been a lot of... Um, there's been a lot of movement with the um, with the uh, the Let's Encrypt movement, where more and more websites were able to get free certificates for encrypting the web. You know, especially I mean, even potentially a website like ours. I'm not sure whether we actually have HTTPS enabled. No, no, no. So get, so get on that. <laughs> the NSA knows that you're reading that sweet tech news, <laughs> but you know you should be behind. Uh, a firewall and a proxy anyway so yeah just a, fi- a firewall and seven proxies yeah. as, as the kids say <laughs> <laughs> okay well you know you are the official youth correspondent <laughs> starting now <laughs> I mean, you're, you're hey, the young- hey kids is is that proxy lit <laughs> <laughs> this firewall is fleek af <laughs> okay and for the the one third of you who didn't stop listening uh, next up, Tech News, November 14th through the 20th. All right, next up, Facebook is evil. No way. Facebook is evil? Well, let's try and find the specific article, because that's way too broad for me to know what the heck I was talking about. But no, the actual uh, article itself is Facebook's ex-president uh, says that the company he worked for uh, exploited vulnerabilities in human psychology. Right. I mean, there a couple of years ago, I mean, it, it was published research that um, they were changing people's feeds to try and influence their moods. I mean, if you saw a depressing Facebook posts, you'd have a darker worldview. If you saw positive, um, positive posts, like your friends getting married, things like that, you'd probably still have a darker worldview, but... <laughs> It won't be related to social media, at least. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can use Facebook for almost anything at this point. I mean, you can if you're on Facebook, you can find links to shopping. You can find links to um, all the games. You know, instant messaging. Um, 
So next up was the fellas at the freaking FCC. All right, so the original one, the original article was the FCC explaining why public support for net neutrality won't stop the repeal. Boring. Developed yeah. the freaking FCC. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, you can submit a complaint to the FCC, but it's up to them whether or not they act on it. Yeah, and I they're mean, not going to. And he, Ajit Pai has said it as as much. He's openly admitted that you know he's not going to take concerns from the public under consideration. He's he's already made up his mind. Yeah, because Verizon paid him so much. Yeah, there you go. Alrighty then. So let's move on to the November twenty eighth through December fifth edition of the tech news. Uh, British iPhone owner sue Google. Yeah, that's the class action lawsuit. Let's see. All right, the original article was posted on Bloomberg on November 30th, the headline being, Google sued over privacy on behalf of 5 million iPhone users. And uh, so this hey, class what action... Want to buy an Android device? <laughs> hey, you want to switch your default search to Google? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the group called Google UOS is filing this against Alphabet, the parent company of Google, saying that they unlawfully collected personal information about people accessing Google services on their iPhone. So, like, this is um, another example of sort of where the e- um, America is benefiting from the more stringent laws that the EU has. So, like, it's like a trickle-down effect almost. Like, we don't have these laws on the books, but because the EU does, and, you know, these are multinational corporations, like, we might see some benefit from it. If this group beats Google in court, then they would have to start enacting best practices. And then, you know, they're going to do that abroad. Hopefully. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> this, this podcast is accompanied by our website, davisandthejakeman.com, where we continue the discussion of subjects of note in the IT industry. And also Facebook. And also Facebook, which is evil. It's okay because the exec said it. Even though it's ripping society itself apart. Okay, hashtag horse, hashtag battery, hashtag staple, hashtag antitrust. Yep. All right, that's 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 Jake's identity right there. Oh no.